No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see where Bildad, Job's second friend, presents his case against Job. Bad things happen to bad people. Only the good receive blessings. But where is the gospel in this? We hope you'll join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Job chapter 8 on Simply the Bible. Quick question. Who is the shortest man in the Bible? Now, many people say Zacchaeus because... A wee little man was he. Others say Nehi Amiah. But today we hear from Bildad the Shuhite. Okay, so it's a bad dad joke. Bildad the Shuhite was one of Job's three friends. Now to this point, although Job's friends came to comfort him, Eliphaz only criticized him. He was so locked into the belief that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people that he couldn't understand how such bad things could happen to Job unless he were guilty of some grievous sin. Now, it was Bildad's turn to step up to the plate. Would he offer Job any relief? We continue in Job 8. Then Bildad, the Shuhite, answered and said, How long will you speak these things, and the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? Right out of the gate, Bildad accuses Job of being a windbag. It's like he couldn't wait for Job to stop talking so he could give him a piece of his mind. He couldn't handle listening to Job complain against God. Does God subvert judgment, or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Bildad makes three if statements. First, he says, if your sons have sinned against him, there is little room for doubt in Bildad's mind. He implies that Job's sons did sin. Thus, the roof fell down on their heads and killed them. I can't imagine suggesting to someone who just lost a child in a terrible accident that they died because of their sin. And I certainly wouldn't say that to someone who just lost 10 children. Bildad follows suit with Eliphaz in his lack of sympathy toward Job based on the belief that bad things only happen to bad people. Second, he says, if you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty. Now, wait a minute. Hadn't Job been doing this all along? God declared on two occasions that Job was a blameless man. He made supplication for his children by sacrificing burnt offerings for them. But rather than giving Job the benefit of the doubt, Bildad assumes that Job hasn't been seeking God and hasn't been praying to him. Third, Bildad says, if you were pure and upright, again, Job had been pure and upright as much as was humanly possible. 
What proof did Bildad have anyway to the contrary? Has he seen Job do anything sinful? No, he just assumes wrongdoing because of Job's dire circumstances. There are two major problems with Bildad's argument. First, like Eliphaz, he assumes that bad things only happen to bad people. Secondly, he makes no allowance for redemption. His gospel is no gospel at all, for it is only based on man's performance and God's judgment. There is no room for mercy, that is, not getting what we deserve, and no room for grace, that is, getting the good that we don't deserve. In light of the whole revelation of God, this is probably the worst error of all. A graceless gospel is no gospel at all. Job had offered sacrifices for each of his children just in case one of them had drunk too much at one of their family dinner parties and cursed God. Was there no allowance for God's mercy and his forgiveness? Was there no atonement for sin? Atonement, you see, is based upon God's acceptance of a substitutionary sacrifice. The innocent one suffers the punishment that's due another. But if innocent people never suffer, then Christ could not have died on the cross for our sins. There could be no redemption, no grace, no forgiveness. This is no gospel, for there is no reconciliation to God for sinners like us. None of them could have known at the time that Job's suffering actually pictured the suffering of Christ, who would make atonement for us all and reconcile us to God. Bildad was right about one thing. We must be pure and upright to ultimately prosper. But since we cannot be pure and upright on our own, God credits the purity and uprightness of Christ to our account when we believe in him. Verse 8, for inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers, for we were born yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? Bildad calls Job to walk in the ancient paths. Now, this is arguably the best point that Bildad makes. The prophet Jeremiah would agree. Jeremiah 6.16 says, This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Truly, there is wisdom in listening to the wisdom of the righteous people who have gone before us. It is tried and true. I like the saying that if it is new, it isn't true. And if it is true, it isn't new. But Job had heeded this ancient wisdom, and still all this tragedy had come down upon him. Therefore, Bildad's argument was empty, and it didn't measure up to the facts. Whatever we believe must ultimately stand before the facts. That is why I am a Christian. Christian doctrines stand before the facts of history and modern life. They help me to be a better husband, father, neighbor, and citizen. Christianity works in real life, and there is no genuinely scientific discovery to which Christianity must bow or concede its beliefs. 
Can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water? While it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish, whose confidence shall be cut off, and whose trust is a spider's web. He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. Now the papyrus grows up tall in the marsh, but it cannot flourish without water. It will wither. And so are the paths of those who forget God. They will wither and come to nothing. Their preciously held theories will come to nothing before the truth of God and his word. The hope of the hypocrite, the Hebrew word here actually means ungodly, will perish. Consider the things in which the godless place their confidence. All these things prove ultimately to be spider's webs, totally unreliable. The ungodly person leans on a house that cannot stand, for it has no foundation and no structure. Even though he holds onto it with all his might, it will ultimately fall. This is what I see happening now with this global pandemic. The things people have held fast to are being shaken up and giving way. The hopes of many are perishing. People are reaching for what is familiar to them, but it isn't there. But this is only a preview of what their future will be if they don't know God. Their hope shall perish with them. Their confidence shall be cut off. And the things in which they trusted will prove to be only spider's webs. How much better it is for them to realize now that only God is trustworthy. Heaven and earth will pass away, but only the words of Christ and his salvation will endure forever. He is the rock of refuge through any and every storm for now and eternity. Verse 16. He grows green in the sun and his branches spread out in his garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap and look for a place in the stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing." Now, in verse 16, it seems that Bildad shifts gears here from the ungodly to the godly. The godly person grows green in the sun. His branches spread out. His roots wrap around the rock heap so that he has a firm foundation. If he does have a major setback, others may retract from him and deny knowing him, but in the end, he will persevere. He will return and have great joy. Moreover, others will grow up spiritually from his example. As Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Like the second plant, Job had experienced a serious setback, but Bildad hopes he can prove himself righteous and flourish in the end. In summary, Bildad tells Job that if he will repent and do what is pure and right, then God will fill his mouth with laughing and his lips with rejoicing. Those who hate him will be humiliated and ashamed. 
While Bildad seemed to extend hope to Job and perhaps in this way sought to comfort him, Bildad's argument fell short because he failed to convict Job of his sin. He offered a solution that Job had already been working. May I suggest it? This is the reason many of us have failed to convert others to Christianity. We offer them a gospel of grace. We tell them that God has a wonderful plan for their lives. But we haven't proven to them that they are sinners who have eternally offended a holy God and they are doomed to stand before him on the day of judgment. They haven't a hope without the purity and righteousness of Jesus Christ being credited to them. This would be like offering someone a cure for COVID-19 without first proving to them that they have tested positive for the disease. They might think it's nice that you have a cure, but they won't see their need for it until you first prove to them that they are infected. The gospel of grace is truly a wonderful cure to everyone who realizes that he or she is condemned as an unworthy sinner before a holy and just God. But without this conviction, the gospel of grace will never be personally appropriated and salvation will escape the sinner. May God help us not to make the Bildad argument, but to help the sick recognize their disease so that they will receive the cure. And if you still think that you will stand before God on your own merit, then I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, but also that he shows you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin to be the atoning sacrifice, and to reconcile you to God. If you will turn from your sin and believe in him, then you will have peace with God. You will prosper eternally, and your fruit will increase abundantly. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. To listen to other episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our iTunes podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. Tomorrow, we'll see where Job replies to Bildad. Can anyone be righteous before Almighty God? Job longs for a mediator to stand between him and God. If only Job knew the one to come. We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Job on Simply the Bible.